Well, as we uh, look forward to this new year, I, I wanted to do something uh, intentional and do something deep. Uh, I, I have a reg- regular rhythm or practice of reading a chapter of a gospel every day. I start in Matthew, I work my way through John, and then I start over. And I just, that way I'm doing at least one chapter of a gospel every day. And the reason for me is that I want to really be immersed in the life of Jesus. I really want to hear his teaching afresh. I really want to see his example afresh. And that keeps me there, just one chapter a day. And so what I would like to do as I was praying about it uh, for our church was to take us through a gospel together at an even slower pace, a chapter a week. And my goal is to begin in Luke chapter 1 and go for however many weeks it takes us to get to Luke 24. There may be other things that kind of break it up along the way. We may have guest speakers or other things like that that might interrupt the the flow of it, but we're going to go until we finish the Gospel of Luke. So the invitation for you, and I made you this little reminder uh, sheet here, is that we're starting today, and today I am going to uh, address a little bit of Luke chapter 1. You didn't know you had homework yet, so you don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Uh, But for next week, we will address Luke chapter 2. Uh, And the goal is going to be, I'm going to have remarks prepared, but I definitely want to leave space. If you come, having read the chapter, if there's something in there that you're like, I don't understand this, I don't get it, what's this word mean, or what's happening here, or, you know, anything, any kind of question or observation, uh, feel free to write those down during the week, and you can bring them, and I'll leave some space where you can share things uh, that you're engaging with or wrestling with in that chapter. So that's going to be our goal. Uh, The nice thing about taking a rhythm of only one chapter a week is that it gives you a lot of time to really wrestle with a smaller amount of the text. If we did two, three, or four chapters in a week, there might be so much material in there, you might get lost in it. I know that happens to me if I try to take too big of a chunk all at once. Uh, But hopefully, the goal will be for us to take our time and really marinate, really be in the text in a deep way, Uh, And you may find yourself reading that chapter for the week every day over the course of the week so that you're really aware of all the elements of what's going on in the story or the words. Or um, I just, I know from my own practice of scripture study that when you take time to go slow, a lot of stuff floats to the surface, really powerful stuff uh, that can be very fruitful and impactful for our faith. So that's the goal, and my invitation for you is by next week to read Luke 1 and 2, if you'd like to read both. Um, I'm going to address a little bit of Luke 1, but more so kind of talk about the gospel as a whole so that we have a good understanding of where we're at in Scripture. So does that make sense? All right, now you got homework. You didn't realize you were coming to church and getting Sunday school homework to take home with you, but there you go. I want to start by just reading the first four verses of chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you or if you uh, want to pull it up on your device of choice, Uh, Or you can just listen as I read. I'm going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It's sort of Luke's introduction at the beginning of his account of the gospel. And then I'm going to give you an introduction on kind of what we know about Luke and uh, his structure and style and all that uh, for this gospel. So beginning, reading Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, 
most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. So in a way, what Luke has done at the very beginning of his gospel is to dedicate this work to one person. So what's interesting is Luke's work is very powerful. He's a very gifted historian. He's gone to the sources. That's what every good historian tries to do, is go to the source of information to understand events, a person, or a place. If you're a biographer, and like Luke is, in, a, in essence, doing biography work, you go to the people who know the person. If that person's still alive, you go to that person, right? So Luke has gone to these different people. He says, eyewitnesses, people who were with Jesus, people who were in the story of Jesus, to gather the information around what took place. And his purpose in writing this gospel is to encourage and inform a fellow believer, a guy by the name of Theophilus. Now, Theophilus in the Greek literally means lover of God. That's what his name means. And it's a really beautiful thing because you could, in a, in a way, you could say that Theophilus is like a microcosm of all of us, right? We yearn to know more about God, we yearn to follow God. And Luke is writing to a God lover. Right? And so, in a way, Luke is also writing to you and to me, to lovers of God, people who want to know more about who God is and what takes place in the life of Jesus, who is God among us. So there's a really beautiful component of a personal dedication in these first three verses, where Luke is writing to a good friend, a person who loves God, who's already a believer, but he's saying, hey, I want you to be informed, I want you to know about Jesus, to get a full account of all the things that happened around his life as best as I can give it to you. And so we get this wonderful dedication right off the bat. You may have gathered in just the first few verses that I read that Luke is a very wordy guy. <laughs> uh, this is the English translation from the Greek. Okay, Now, if you really want a headache, you do need to try and read it in the Greek because Greek can have some very long run-on sentences. They don't, they're not as concerned as we, our English speakers, are with closing off one idea and beginning a new one with a period and all that sort of thing. Greek could run on for quite a while, and the words can get a little complex. And the bigger the vocabulary of the author, the bigger the sentences, the bigger the words. All right. So if you got a gist of that, just in me reading it in English, imagine that it's about twice to three times as bad in Greek, <laughs> okay? Luke is an extremely uh, well-educated guy, okay? And we know this because his vocabulary is humongous. Of all the New Testament authors, Luke has the biggest vocabulary. He uses the most diversity of words in the, in the Greek language to write his two books, Luke and the Book of Acts. All the other New Testament authors have really good words they use, and it's not that they weren't, you know, learned people. Paul was a very well-educated person. He uses a good number of words as well, and he has a considerable number of writings that were included in the New Testament. But Luke only uses two books to use the most words, uh, most diversity of words, I should say, in the Greek. Now, there's actually something that I take away from this biographical fact that is super encouraging for me. One of the reasons I love the Gospel of Luke is because of the, the character of the author. So Luke, being someone who read a lot, who was very well educated, 
comes to the task of writing the story of Jesus with a fully engaged intellect. He doesn't check his mind out at the door and say, okay, well, I don't have to think about what Jesus did or said or taught. I'm going to engage my historian, my intellectual person, my smart guy. I'm going to write out the stuff. I'm going to study the facts. I'm going to go to the sources to understand who this person was, Jesus. Because Luke loves Jesus too. And he's really concerned that people like Theophilus and you and me who read the story of Jesus will get a good picture of who Jesus is, of what Jesus taught, what Jesus did, Jesus' identity from his own words. These things mattered to Luke. But I've always, ever since I learned about Luke uh, in uh, different courses I took in college and seminary, I learned about the theories about who he was as a person, and learned about the fact that he had such a big vocabulary. I've always looked up to Luke as a Bible author because I yearn to be someone who engages my mind too as part of my journey of faith. And it's a beautiful thing because sometimes Christians get caught up in the trap of thinking that our faith and our intellect are somehow opposed to one another. But it's a false dichotomy. Luke is my example of someone, and Paul as well, who when I look at them, I see there's no false dichotomy. They're fully engaged thinking people and fully people of faith and belief. You can be both. And that is a wonderful thing. So that's why Luke is one of my personal heroes when it comes to characters from Scripture and characters who helped author Scripture. As I already mentioned, Luke is a very gifted historian. And many people, even modern historians, who study uh, and critique Scripture whether they be Christian or not, look at the text of Luke and say, he did his homework. This guy knew what he was doing when it came to historiography, the writing of history. He studied the resources that were at his fingertips. He went and interviewed people in person to get a good sense of what took place. That's what a good historian does. One example that I give of that is that when Luke is telling us the Christmas story, some of which happens in Luke chapter 1. We read about Elizabeth and Zechariah. We read about Mary being visited by Gabriel. That all happens in chapter 1. Some of the stuff that he's getting, he could only get if he talked to those people face to face. Some of it's like first-hand experience stuff, right? We get Zechariah's prophecy written in the text. We get Mary's song, her response to Gabriel's message of being the one to deliver God as a baby. We get those things that only those people would have known word for word because they're the first people who spoke them, right? So Luke went to the sources. He went to those people. Uh, and if we were to compare Luke's telling of the Christmas story to Matthew's telling of the Christmas story, what's beautiful is we get two very different perspectives on the same story. Many people look at Matthew's telling of the story and they see a lot of Joseph's perspective in it. Right? Joseph has dreams, and Joseph knows to take the baby and Mary off to Egypt when they're threatened, and all that. And in this case, it's like Luke is telling Mary's perspective. We get so many of these really amazing details of what Mary's experience of Jesus' birth was like, only from the mom's perspective, and it's a really gift. It's a gift to have that. So, that's a beautiful thing that really helps us to, to understand Luke's motivation and passion as he's telling the story of Jesus. So who was Luke? Well, there's actually theories about this guy. We know he was a follower of Jesus, that he was a devoted Christian. 
there are parts of the story of the book of Acts where he switches his position in the story. He's sometimes a third-person narrator. So he's telling the story of someone, what someone else is telling him happened. He's writing out, they did this, they went there, that kind of thing. And in other places, he says, we did this, we went there, we did that thing. Right? And so in some cases, Luke is telling other people's stories. And in other cases, he's telling the story he's been a part of, where he was actually in the story. He includes himself. And so the beautiful thing about that is we know Luke is a passionate follower of Jesus. He's employing his mind, he's employing his skills as a historian, a, a very deep intellectual. He wants to tell the story of Jesus as best he can. So for a long time, for, for centuries, Christians uh, gave, had the kind of legend, if you will, or the belief that Luke was a doctor. All right? And that's still a valid theory, that Luke was a doctor. And the reason for thinking Luke was a doctor was that he uses terms that are medical terminology in his Gospel and in the Book of Acts. So again, we get back to that vocabulary, and if we study that vocabulary, we study what is written, we learn more about the author, just like you would do with any good book today. You study the book to understand the author. So Luke uses words that doctors use. That's why many people thought for a long time that Luke was and may have been a doctor. It turns out other scholars come along, and this is only in the last couple centuries, but they find that Luke also used terms that only ship captains would have used, nautical terminology, right? So other people theorize, well, he could have been a ship captain, right? Because he also uses these words that are really like nautical terms that only a ship captain would have used, or mostly only ship captain. And then there's my favorite theory, which combines the two and says, well, maybe he was just a doctor who happened to work on a ship. Right? So you can, you can combine them all together. There's a lot of theories about what he could have been, what he could have done. He's definitely got references to, uh, to, to medical terms. Even in, It comes through even in the English, which is really powerful. The nautical ones are a little more hidden. But it's really interesting because it gives us a backdrop. Right? He may have done all those things. He may have had multiple careers. He may have been a doctor on a ship. He may have just been so well-read that he knew a lot of those words. Um, however we uh, theorize or, or, or kind of think about what he may have done as a career, he brings his full self to the task of writing Jesus' story. And that includes his training as a doctor, if he was, or his experience on ships, if he had had that, or his just wealth of reading, his reading across different genres of books. He brings all that to the task of telling the story of the good news of Jesus. And that is why this book is referred to as the Gospel according to Luke. The good news according to Luke. All four Gospels are referred to that way by uh, the author that wrote them. The Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, or John, in this case Luke, because there is only one. Right? There's really only one Gospel. But what's beautiful is we have four accounts of that good story, of that good news. So many people get hung up on the fact that there are four. And they think, well, isn't that problematic? I mean, what if they don't agree on something? And they don't always agree, just so you know. What if they're telling the same smaller story from Jesus' life, and they don't get the same details right? Well, that's not a problem. In fact, that's actually a good thing. Historians will tell you that if you only get one account of something... That's okay, that's great. But if you get multiple accounts of something, you get multiple perspectives 
and it's even greater proof that something actually happened. One account, you could say, well, that guy, I mean, he's by himself. Who knows that it actually happened? Two people, better. Three, four, five, six. Wow, that's great. You're getting edification of the fact that something actually happened. And if you kind of take a modern-day metaphor to understand this concept, if, say, a police officer arrives at the scene of an accident and you have two or three witnesses, three or four maybe, witnesses to the event, and they all say the exact same thing in the exact same words, the police officer's got a red flag. Someone's coached them to say the same thing, or paid them to say the same thing, or threatened them to say the same thing. They all have the exact same story. That doesn't happen in human life. <laughs> no one tells the same story the same way, right? Real life is a little bit messy. So to have four people coming to tell the same story of the same person and tell it from different angles is actually a really good thing. It's healthy. It shows diversity and it shows a multiplicity of impact that that one person or that event had a deep impact on multiple people. Luke makes it clear in the first part that I read to you that he went to people who had first-hand account eyewitness experience of the life of Jesus. It was important to Luke to go and get their story. Say, tell me what you saw. Tell me what you experienced. I want to write that down. I want to put that into the telling of the gospel. That's a good thing. And Luke does a great job of incorporating those things into the telling of this gospel. So just in summary, so that you understand what happens in Luke chapter 1, you can definitely read it this week, uh, then also read Luke 2 for next week. But in the course of Luke chapter 1, we have that very first part, which is dedication to the, the original reader, Theophilus, as well as a little bit of Luke's passion and why he's doing it. But then Luke 1 goes on to tell the story of Zechariah going to the temple and having an encounter with angel Gabriel in the temple. It's in that encounter that Gabriel tells Zechariah he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby. This is surprising to Zechariah because Zechariah and his wife are very old. And by this time they think, we're past that. It's not going to happen for us. And he doubts and he really wrestles with that. And Gabriel says, well, in order to prove to you that what I said is going to happen is going to happen, you're not going to be able to speak until it happens. And so Zechariah, is, his voice is taken away for the full term of pregnancy. Can you imagine not being able to talk for nine months? I mean, some people might be like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Other people are like, no, that would be terrible, right? How much more difficult it would be to communicate, right? How much more difficult it would be to interact with people just because you can't talk anymore. But it's a, it's a powerful story because in a way it's a very deep and direct encounter Zechariah has with God through the angel, through a messenger, who tells him that something big is going to happen. He's, he's preparing Zechariah for a, a miracle and a very powerful new beginning. Well, Elizabeth, of course, uh, very soon after, becomes pregnant, and there's a lot of joy for her because she thought she would never have children. She was sort of resigned to that fact, but then is really instilled with hope, infused with hope in this story. A little while later in Luke 1, Mary, her cousin, comes to visit her, and as she comes, she also has good news because she knows she's going to have a baby, having met with Gabriel as well. And 
it's really interesting how when they first meet, the baby inside Elizabeth jumps. There's this joy that this pre-born infant has at the recognizing of the voice of the one carrying Jesus. There's really a whole bunch of stuff in that story that's just wonderful and powerful and, and amazing. And then, like I said a little while ago, we have these records of the words of both Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah has a prophecy that he kind of, when he finally gets to, to speak again, he gets to prophesy. He prophesies about what was, what's going to happen with these two babies who are on their way. And then Mary as well has a song, uh, a, a praise of thankfulness for what God is going to do in her and through her, being the mother who will bear the deliverer, the Messiah. So as you can see, this is just Luke chapter 1, right? we got a lot of stuff here. I definitely invite you to read it on your own over the course of the week, and then go right into Luke 2, because next week we'll cover more in depth some big components of Luke 2. And I invite you, like I said, to write down questions. If there's something that you don't understand, a word that you don't get, uh, something that's like, I don't know what's going on here. Write that down, and feel free to bring it, and feel free to share it. I'll give you some opportunities uh, to ask those questions and to bring those observations uh, to the group. When we do things like that, incidentally, when we bring our own questions, sometimes that is the light bulb for someone else. So I really want to encourage you, don't be afraid to ask, and no question is off limits. All right? So. Don't be afraid to ask, and don't look, don't look at your question and think, oh, everyone else should know this question, or maybe this is too basic. Don't worry about that. Let that weird thing go. <laughs> I want you to bring your questions, because if it's your question and you genuinely want to understand something better about the text, then it's worth asking. All right? And you don't know if your question is shared, number one, by other people, but number two, your question, someone else may not have even thought of it. But when you ask it, they may have a light bulb that goes off. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. I need to know that. That's a really good question. So don't be afraid to ask your questions when we come to that next week. If you don't end up having any, no worries. I will prepare thoughts, and I definitely will have stuff to say about Luke 2. But I just encourage you to bring your questions or things that you look at and you're like, did you see this? Like, I saw this, and I don't know what it, This is amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by it. Bring those as well. Here's a few big ideas or takeaways that I took away from Luke chapter 1. When you look at all the people that Luke tells the story of, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, uh, Joseph, Theophilus, these, these people are all in chapter 1. What I learned, what I gleaned from Luke 1 is that God works in the lives of everyday average people. There's not like special class group of people that God works only in their lives and not in the lives of everyone else. God is at work in every person's life. We have an account of people who were living in a very tiny little backwater area of a big giant empire in the ancient world. But they get invited into the story of the God who created the universe. Right? It's kind of amazing. And we see in that story this truth that even us, every one of us, no matter what our station in life, position, our success, our failures, experiences, whatever, we have the opportunity to be invited into that big story. God can invite us into his big story. Another big takeaway is that God speaks in a multiplicity of ways. 
God uses angels, prophecies, theophanies, big giant, you know, whoa, God meets Zechariah in the temple and there's like major stuff going on there. God uses babies. God uses so many things. This is only Luke chapter 1. Right? So if that's just one chapter of the Bible, we have to recognize how big are the number of ways that God will speak. God can choose to speak in so many different ways. And these are actually, most of these in chapter 1 are pretty big ways. Okay? So you, I would say the vast majority of the time, God doesn't use angels, theophanies, babies, right? That's, that's pretty special stuff. And this is a very special story. But there are also a lot of times God speaks through very small things. Right? A card. Christmas card. Through a resonance with scripture where you're reading it and then you hear it on the radio. Through a conversation where someone says a word that just sits with you in your mind and you can't get it out of your head and then all of a sudden you hear it again. Through another conversation you hear it again in a book and all of a sudden you're like, I've heard that word three times. Maybe God's speaking to me. There's so many other ways that God speaks and some of them are very subtle. But God speaks. That's a truth we can take from Luke chapter 1. In the, my last big takeaway is that people in Luke chapter 1, there were two people in particular, who were invited into God's story and they leaned two different directions. Zechariah kind of leaned away. When the story, or the, the message comes from Gabriel that his wife's going to bear a son, he kind of leans back. Mary gets the very same messenger with the very same message. Baby on the way. She leans in. She leans toward the truth of that message. She opens her hands and says, let it be done. Let it be done to me. It's really amazing because we get a, a two-character kind of comparison in, in one chapter here on what to do and what not to do if we sense God speaking. It may be that we need time to discern, and that's totally fine, because God invites us to take the time to discern what is God speaking and what's not. But if we're seeking to discern, then we're leaning in. We're like, yeah, I want to know if this is God speaking. I want to seek confirmation that this is God telling me something. Zechariah kind of leaned back and said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to discern this, right? Like, he, he leaned back from that. And so we are invited to see them as two examples. We can lean into invitations God gives, or we can lean away. So you're invited to lean in. So several invitations that I have for you are to pay attention to what God is saying. You may find that as you're reading a chapter each week, that something elevates in the text. It could be a character. It could be an experience that parallels something you're going through. It could be an emotion a character has. You could even read a chapter and feel something and not even know how to articulate it. If that happens, stick with it. Lean into that. Invite God to clarify. Write out what you think you're feeling. Use a journal next to the text of Scripture to, to observe what you see. And the more we repetitively make our way through a text of Scripture, the more opportunities we have to, number one, see things we didn't see before. But number two, it's that repetition that's sort of like, sort of like swimming. You go deeper, you get into the water, and as you make your way down, different things happen to you. Right? So I want, you, I want to invite you to go deep, repetitively, get into the text, read it every day, once a day at least, and listen, and allow things to, to rise to the surface. And when they do, write it down. 
Have a journal notepad next to the Bible. Write down what you hear God saying. Write down words that pop out, experiences that pop out, characters that pop out. Anything that kind of highlights or comes to the surface, write that down. One of the questions Luke 1 asks of us is that is maybe there's something God is inviting us into right now. Maybe you are being invited into something. So pay attention. It could be that God is doing something in you, just like he was doing in Zechariah and Elizabeth, just like he did in Mary and Joseph's life, birthing something new. So open yourself to that. Allow God to speak. What is God birthing in you? What new thing is on the horizon? And lastly, the final invitation has to do with the baby John the Baptist. We don't know him as John the Baptist yet. He's just a baby who's been born. Uh, We hear about his uh, birth coming, and then he's born by the end of Luke 1. But John the Baptist is a character who, whose whole life is about pointing to another person. He's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to his cousin. <laughs> That's the one, the promised one, the Messiah, the Deliverer. And in a way, we can see that within the story of John the Baptist is the entire life of the church. That's our existence as people who love God, is to be signposts, people who point toward Jesus. Sometimes that comes through conversations with people where we are just showing them love by listening and caring for them, and we say, you know what, I want to just pray for you, because I believe Jesus is here with me, with you, he loves you, he wants to hear our prayers, can I pray for you? Showing love and concern to an act of service, caring for someone's needs, can be a profound way to point people to the love of God. Sometimes they'll ask you, why are you doing this for me? (laughs) Why are you helping me? I'm doing it because I I believe God invites me to help those in my sphere of influence who need something. And I think I can help you with that. So I want to help you. There's so many ways that we can be a signpost to the God we love and follow. So I invite you to consider John the Baptist as an example for all of us. Last but not least, you're invited to read Luke chapter 2. It's the story of the Christmas, uh, very beginning of Christmas, which is a perfect timing right here on the the heels of having celebrated Christmas and New Year's. So I invite you to really dive in. Definitely read Luke 1, but I invite you to really just sit with Luke chapter 2, listen with fresh ears, and see what it is that God says to you as you are making your way through that chapter. One thing you'll discover as you're reading the Gospel of Luke is that Luke's chapters are very long. That's why I made it one chapter a week. (laughs) In other books, his chapter might be three chapters, but Luke likes to make very long, extended uh, descriptions of things, tells very good stories. And so we're going to do one chapter a week. Next week, we will go into Luke chapter 2. And I'm excited to hear whatever questions or observations you have, things that you're wrestling with, or how God is speaking to you in the text. Let me pray for us as we close, and then you feel free to stick around and enjoy some fellowship with one another. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the Gospel of Luke. We thank you for the Bible as a whole. Lord, it's a gift in its entirety, the whole story of your interactions with your people uh, and your bringing the good news of the Gospel in Jesus to us. We pray that as we enter into this book in particular, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, souls, and bodies to receive whatever truths, whatever insights, whatever wisdom, whatever guidance, invitation, whatever it is you want to do through this book in us, we pray that you would do it. I pray for my brothers and sisters as they read through Luke 2 this week, 
I pray that you would illuminate the text. Help them to hear your voice in the Christmas story. Help them to hear your voice through the characters, through the scenes, through the backgrounds, through everything that happens. Help them to see what they need to see. And we may come with 15 or 20 different things next week, and that's okay, because you're going to speak to each of us differently. And so I pray, Lord, that you bless each of our journeys through the text, and we thank you for your faithfulness and for the example of our brother Luke, who wrote down an account of the story of Jesus, out of his desire to teach and instruct a fellow believer, Theophilus. Help us to be lovers of God, like that first Theophilus, people who want to learn about Jesus and follow him with our whole lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Go in peace, blessings, and Happy New Year.